red pills all around as we dive into The Matrix. Who's probably the only Italian to win a treble and a World Cup? The Matrix. Who's probably the only centre-half to be top scorer for a World Cup winning side? The Matrix. Who's definitely the most hated man in football according to France Football Magazine? The Matrix. That's right, it's a Marco Materazzi special on today's Golazzo. Hello, Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. Hello, James Horncastle. Hello, James Richardson. And hello, you, listener. Hey, here we go then. Today's Golazzo is all about a player who has had an extraordinary habit of turning up at some of the biggest moments in Italian football of late and who may just be the unlikeliest hero that Italian football has ever had. What do you say to that, James? Since Scalacci? I mean, Scalacci ultimately didn't well, win the World Cup, I suppose. He didn't win the treble, yeah, and he's but... not the Matrix. <laughs> but, look, he, he put it best. He said, mm-hmm. you go check it out, but I'm pretty sure there's nobody in the history of the game mm. that won a treble, won a World Cup, right. played X many games with the national team, and never represented his country at youth level. This is an incredible underdog story. You don't talk about sort of inspiration and whatever. Right. This is somebody who was born to be a footballer in some ways and then totally went in a different direction mm. and, also and his, then climbed his way back. His father, who was a footballer, told him, you shouldn't go to football. You should be, basketball. should be a basketball player. So yeah, people thought of Matarazzi as a hothead, a, a liability, a magnet for red cards. And what happened then afterwards was a little bit as if, I don't know, an Italian Vinnie Jones had somehow turned up and won a World Cup for England. Which again is... It's just wrong, and and I think speaks to where this guy's from, right? I mean, we said he's got the genes to be a footballer. He's an incredible athlete. People forget this. He played left back. He was the world's largest left back uh, as a kid. He can strike a ball extremely well. Mm. You know, when when you mention all the goals that he scored in his career, they're not all headers. You know, they're not all penalties either. Well, they're not all penalties either. Yeah, he is still the City A record holder for goals scored in a season by a defender with 12 at Perugia, no? Seven of which were penalties, but that's pretty remarkable stuff. 12 goals in 30 he games. He scored more goals than Inzaghi that season. He did win France football's most hated man in football. Yeah, can I title. say something? <laughs> we'll, we'll come on to France that. France and football, you know, you know really mixed. He Sorry. went, I think I'm right in saying, he went seven years as a penalty taker without missing once from the spot. That's incredible. Graham Alexander. And, of course... He's got one of the coolest nicknames in Italian football, Il Matrix. How did that name come about? It was a poll on Inter's website. Was it? Yeah. Okay. And they made suggestions and that was one of them. So genuinely, it was a viewer vote. It was crowdsourced, yeah. It's a good one, though. It is a good one. All right, let's take it right back to the beginnings. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Marco Materazzi, born in Lecce, because his father, former player and manager Beppe Materazzi, was in charge of uh, Lecce's football team back then. And Marco's own career starts with him coming through the ranks in the Lazio's youth programme, where his father had previously been well, his manager. His sister, I think, was was married to Maestrelli's son. That's Maestrelli, correct, yeah. who was the, the coach of, of the Lazio side that won the Scudetto in 1974. Mm. But then what happens? 
I think even before that, his, his relationship at Lazio really sours and he really struggles, I mean, understandably. I think he was 13 or 14 years old when, when his mother passed away. Um, and that coincides with him entering Lazio. That, that same season, I think he, he moved up and it doesn't work out for him. He really struggles to cope with it. And, it, and to this day, it still, it still affects him when, you know. I mean, a couple of things also to add to that is that he played for a youth team in Rome, which is, which is called Juniores, Tito Di Quinto. They, as, as youth teams go, are one of the best in the country. They've won five national championships. And they're, they're coached by this guy, Massimo Testa. Have you heard about this guy? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a name that sounds familiar. Tordi Quinto, though, is where Lazio's training ground was based in those days. Mm. So it must have been down the road from the but professionals. He would, he, would, he would play for, the, for this side. He's, I think it's the most famous kind of player to make it. But this team regularly has won national championships. Next door to Lazio, who are associated with one kind of politics. If you go into Massimo Testa's office, there's... Photos of Arafat and Fidel Castro. Oh, really? It's very okay. different. But yeah, I mean, so there's he's, a bit of Che Guevara in there too. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the one I think that Matarazzi stayed in contact with. Where for, there's the guy who kind of not launched his career, but certainly gave him an opportunity when his father basically told him, you know, you should be a basketball player because you're long and lanky, or you should run the line, which is what he did. Whose lines when he was like an eight year old. Not an easy path to, to glory because uh, his first professional gig is with Marsala in the fourth division, then Trapani in, uh, the, in Serie Ciuno, and then Perugia. But before that, I mean, Materazzi has this hard man image, right? And um, I think this was after Matrix had, had won the World Cup, and they go back to when he's playing for Marsala against Rosano in Calabria. Mm. Um, on this dusty pitch. And the story is about this guy, Lelo Chevella, who basically is the guy who beat Materazzi in a fight um, because Masala, basically, they go to play against this side at the end of the season. Masala already safe, but uh, Rosano need the points to stay up. It was lower league football and Chevella, I think, is the coach and he's basically saying, go easy, lads, to the Masala boys. And Materazzi walks past him and says fine, I've got this, it's, it's fine, you'll, you'll be okay. And within two minutes, Materazzi scores. They have the restart and he's going over to his players and he's going, come on, come on, we've got to keep going. And the coach of Rosano takes big issue with this and basically has an argument with him. Materazzi comes over, he spits at Materazzi, they both get sent off and then they run down the tunnel to the dressing room to have a fight and just as Materazzi is about to turn around, this guy, Chevella, basically karate kicks him. Wow. And then the Carabinieri have to come in and separate them. And there's all kinds of things. But he's the guy who you know, beat the Matrix in the fight. I mean, if you're going to make the Matrix comparison, I... One or two elements that are going to recur in the course of uh, Matarazzi's story. But not the only person to put Matarazzi on the ground, of course, because Zidane did famously. But also certainly Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, put him in hospital with a karate kick to the gut uh, in, in his final season with, with Inter. Anyway, so there he is. He eventually breaks out of the dusty southern uh, pitches of the lower, lower divisions and, and heads to Perugia, where... In 1998, he wins with Perugia promotion to Serie A and for himself a move to the Premier League and Walter Smith's Everton. How, how did that happen? What led to him being signed up by uh, the Toffees? Well, first of all, in, in Perugia is also where, where he would meet his wife, who... Was it nightclub owner, no? Uh, her family, yeah, is a big family involved. In, I mean, on the surface, very different personalities. Walter Smith was familiar 
uh, with it because there was there were certain people who had brought a bunch of players to to Rangers from Italy. And I think what, what they looked at, and this is the amazing thing. I mean, Materazzi at that stage, I'm just looking this up now. I don't know this from memory. He was 25 years old, and it was the summer that he turned 25. And he had all of 14 top flight appearances, right? So while he played very well in the promotion year from Serie B, you know, this is still a guy who who was seen as extremely raw, um, you know, but he wasn't a kid. It's not like you're signing some 18-year-old phenomenon. And I think what Walter saw was a guy who is tall and could run and could head the ball and could kick the ball really, really hard. And back then, that's what you needed in a central defender. Okay. In England. You well, know. not just that guy. I mean, um, perhaps he wasn't aware, but you go back and look at the YouTube clips from that time, you just see Matrix just smashing in free kicks and mm. yeah, scoring penalties and that sort of thing. Again, that part of his game already evident when he's over in the Premier League when he's not picking up red cards. Well, 27 games he has that season for Everton, picking up three red cards along the way and scoring two goals, one against Borough in the Premier League, one in the League Cup against Huddersfield, but generally leaving behind some pretty warm memories, as, for example, this from Don Hutchison, a member of that Everton team. One of the most emotional players I think I've ever played with. Um, very immaculate dresser. Every single day when he came into training, he was smartly dressed, always looked a million dollars. Uh, is a lad, fantastic lad, great heart. But he used to come into training, uh, we used to do a little rondo, a little toro, a little keep ball, 5v3. And anyone that put the ball through his legs and nutmeg Marco, he would literally, and I mean literally, started to cry. He would cry just at any occasion. I remember him getting sent off, I think it was, at Goodison Park. There's a picture of him sitting by the dugouts, just, you know, putting his hands in the air, crying, tears coming out of his eyes. But a lovely man, as I said before. Every single day he came into training, he was smart. He had a shirt on or a jumper or even a, a blazer at times. Um, but fond memories of Marco. Really, really top professional uh, and had a wonderful career. Don Hutchinson there. It's interesting, isn't it? I think you get a sense of how spaisato Matarazzi must have been, how, how far from home he must have felt in many ways of such a different footballing culture. I would speak to him very, very regularly. In fact, weirdly, uh, and this very rarely happens, is when you, especially when you're a young reporter where nobody knows, when you meet footballers, you ask for their number, you give them yours. The last thing you expect is for them to call you unprompted. You know, you consider yourself lucky if you text him 50 times and then you get an answer. And he would call regularly um, to tell me about his game, tell me about his day and whatever. But one of the things that I remember, apart from a story about how Don Hutchinson made fun of his pajamas, <laughs> was the fact that, okay, so he signs for Everton, you know, big contract for the time. And as part of his contract, he gets a house. Now, this presented a little difficulty. He asked, sorry, can I have an apartment? I, I don't really want to live in a house because my wife has never lived in a house before. You know, it's like, you know how when you go up north, you have those sort of mock Tudor developments in the countryside? Mm. You know, that's kind of like with a little cul-de-sac. That's how I imagine you grew up. Is that is that right? <laughs> Close gap, yeah. yeah. I see. I, I but, can see your point. But the point is... Metropolitan apartment. But no, she wanted people nearby. Right. Right. She, she wanted. She, no? she became. She was frightened. She had a. She had a young boy, uh, Jacob, I think. Uh, you know, who who was just born, and the idea of 
being in a foreign country where you don't speak the language and you're in this house all by yourself. And you know, his wife would have been 22, 23 at the time was actually scary for him. And it was remarkable that there became this big thing where the club was like, look, there are no flats for you to rent in, in Liverpool, except for these ones, which are dumps. You know, you can buy one or whatever. And it, it's just kind of extraordinary. They didn't realize the importance, uh, the importance of this thing. Today we have player liaison officers and, you know, they'll bend over backwards. But back then it was like, well, we've written you a big check. Now just get on with it. And so what his wife would often do, the goalkeeper, I believe, was a guy named Thomas Myra, who was a Norwegian. So when Everton were playing away from home and they had to be in a, in a hotel, she'd have Thomas Myra's girlfriend over or she would go over with, with the kid and they would all sort of sleep in the big bed together just because, you know, these were two young women who kind of found themselves way out of sorts, way spaisati, if you will, mm. on a Merseyside. And today, most clubs understand that making sure that somebody, you know, isn't getting aggro or static at home or, or doesn't have these concerns at home um, is critical. I mean, sure. It doesn't cost you a lot of money to go and resolve that situation. But back then, it really was an issue for him. Mm. And if you ask him now, you know, England, Liverpool, he's like, well, for me, there's only one city in England and it's London. Well, he only stays one season at Everton, but it must have done him some good because when he returns to Perugia, he produces this incredible season in which he breaks the City A scoring record for a defender and on the final day pulls off one of the biggest shocks in years in Italian football because that's the season that Juve are all set for the title and Matrix with his teammates, Renato Olive, Milanese, Max Esposito, Liberani in that team. I don't think he was, no. Liberani no. wasn't it. But basically, it's a, it's a pretty unglamorous uh, Perugia side managed to shut down Juventus and stop them winning the title. As I say, it was one of the biggest... Sure it wasn't the rain, James. Well, or the referee. Or God. Yeah. God. Or, or <laughs> but, all those but that game yeah. would lead, would be sort of the, the next chapter mm. in an ongoing feud. People think that Materazzi must hate Zinedine Zidane. He doesn't. It's Zidane's little balding terrier-like teammate that he really, really loathes. Conte. Mr. Antonio Conte. Right. And that's so, why it's so difficult for, for Matrix to accept the fact that this guy is now in charge of Inter. Right. The uh, Juve team that day is, as you might imagine, a bit of an all-star lineup. Van der Sar, who maybe wasn't at his best for Juventus, but still, uh, was between the posts. You had Ciro Ferrara, Paolo Montero, Marco Giuliano, Pesotto, Conte, Tacchinardi, Edgar Davids, and up front, Del Piero, Pippo Inzaghi, uh, with support from Zinedine Zidane. Let's remember what happened in this game. Everybody assumed that Perugia were going to lie down. Right. It was very, can be very, you know, Juventus only needed a point, And then God decided that, you know, for once the good guys would win. This would matter because Juve, of course, got super upset. And they're super upset, super angry. You remember, this is Moji's Juve, right? So really angry with Colina for this having the game go us. ahead. It doesn't happen to <laughs> us. Angry with Perugia for having played hard. All this stuff. This would come to a head two years later when, of course, on May 5th, 2002. Right. And so remember this because I will be referencing this match. Well, let's mention it now because I said that was one of the biggest shocks Italian football had seen in years when Perugia beat Juve. It was one of the biggest shocks until two years later when Inter went to the Stadio Olimpico, Gabrielli, with a Scudetto already in their back pocket and somehow contrived to lose it. And once again, Matarazzi was there. Yeah, I think we did a whole episode uh, on did. this. So you can go back in the archives to get the uh, to get the details. But 
long and short of it, it was they needed a draw, right? Yeah. And, and they, Lazio and Inter are twinned. The Lazio Ultras opened up the Cool of Nord. Come and watch it with us, Inter Ultras, because it's going to be a great day for you. Roma and Juventus were behind, so obviously from Lazio's perspective, they said, oh, look, you know, if Roma win and they have a chance to win the title, it's just, you know, well, happily, it would be unforgivable if we allowed Roma to win the title. And instead, as it happens, Roma go and screw it up, whoever they were playing against, and uh, and Inter somehow contrived to lose this game 4-2. Well, Lazio decide to play. And, uh, Lazio decide to play at some point, yeah. And yeah. Materazzi is, is seen saying... I've made you win a, a Scudetto. To Nesta, no? Yeah. So, yeah, so in this game, which freaking Gresco and the, the, the rest of the bunch of idiots, what a Materazzi game by loses it. though, huh? You talked about Materazzi crying right. and being emotional. We heard it from Don. And, yeah, he's, he starts crying. He gets super angry. He gets really angry with... Uh, Lazio had this player named, uh, named Cesar. Um, the Brazilian, yeah. Yes, who... Had previously done time for bank robbery. Yeah, and he, 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 he was, I think Matarazzi would later say he was laughing and being disrespectful. Whatever was, Nesta, of course, another one who I think he might have known Nesta from the Lazio youth teams back in the day. Uh, you know, Nesta being much more understanding. But anyway, Conte decides, having seen Materazzi crying and Materazzi nearly getting into a fight with Cesar and being held, dragged away, whatever... He's, he's like literally being pulled back into the dressing room in Udine. I mean, this was one of the so great you, YouTube clips. Yeah, it's, so it's, this it's is, absolutely Juve tremendous. Juve have won in Udine. Right. And obviously, they're doing their flash interviews. They can see what's going on at the Olympico. And Conte can't help himself, can he? I no, mean, he, he can't. He, he has to comment. No on impulse this. control, that man. <laughs> and I think you see like Churam trying to put his hand over his mouth, but Conte's loving it. And this, this, this is on YouTube. And it's like course, a WWE promo. When 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 Inter appointed him, this was the this was the major thing that kept coming back, which was how can this guy represent us? Because he's taking such you know, I mean, Schadenfreude is the word. Questa è l'amarezza di due anni fa a Perugia e c'è qualcuno che ci guarda che ce l'ha Perugia. Adesso stiamo correndo. Materazzi's reaction to that was, Brilliant. you know, something like. I think Conte should calm down and enjoy himself and enjoy the title. Maybe he can buy himself a new hair weave or a new toupee. <laughs> right. um, but Materazzi, a, a man of great one-liners. Mm. I mean, ultimately, as we'd see in 2000. And he also had this we other one about Conte before where he said, like, you know, Conte's basically a dog, and if he were my dog, I wouldn't feed him. Like, <laughs> I'd leave him to starve or something like that. Like, <laughs> So Materazzi known for his bon mots, but also for his excruciatingly crunching tackles. Listeners, it's nearly Christmas, and to wish you a Buon Natale... Our friends at Beer 52 want to give you a free case of beer. Now, typically, Beer 52 put eight beers in these cases. But simply because you listen to Golazzo, they're going to chuck in another two bottles. So that's ten beers for free. All you pay is £4.95 for next day shipping. Beer 52 are beer pioneers, working with small batch breweries from all over the world to bring you hoppy IPAs, hazy pale ales and eclectic lagers from places like the Czech Republic, California and, of course, Italy. There's no minimum commitment with Beer 52. You can just take this free case, try the beers and see what you think. If it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. 
So head to beer52 slash Italian and claim your free case of craft beer right now. That's beer52.com slash I-T-A-L-I-A-N. Get your order in before the 17th of December. Get your beer in time for Christmas. That address one last time, beer52.com slash Italian. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. So Mattanati, a record holder and an emerging force defensively, but for most observers, that wasn't really the point. The point was he was pretty much a nutter. To paraphrase the godfather, when the going gets tough, we go to the Mattanati because well, also, he, he was a, about the toughest player in mm-hmm. Serie A. I also like that he was born in Lecce. Mm-hmm. Same place as Pasquale Bruno. Was nice. Born. But I will well, say this because he's told me more than once, and I think he is the kind of guy who would go and look it up. Because remember, most footballers right. who make it are coddled from a young age. They're told they're set on a path to greatness. As we said earlier, this is a guy who went off the rails and looked like he would never make it. Right. So he keeps track of everything. Uh-huh. He lives every day as an absolute privilege that he's playing football. So he has this line about you have to make your own justice. When you played in the lower leagues like I did, you have to make your own mm. justice. Yeah. But equally, I mean, that's an Italian expression, farsi giustizia mm. da soldi, you know? But equally, he says that in his entire career, I haven't right. gone and checked this, it would be difficult to do. He has never, ever, ever right. caused an injury which caused his opponent to miss the next game. Well, I'm surprised because when you go and look at the compilations, and I'm particularly surprised that he never did it to Andrei Shevchenko because he seemed to have a oh, special well, a special thing for Shevchenko. And, and there's that playoff between Perugia and Torino. Oh, the Lentini tackle. Where he goes in and Lentini. And Lentini Two-footed. Lentini years later says, there are no words to describe him. <laughs> He's a persona sleale. Without honor. Unethical <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah. In those days, there weren't as many TV cameras as there are today, and he got away with those kind of things. He isn't a footballer. Yeah, I mean, there's some juicy quotes. Patrick Vieira was his teammate, presumably, at Inter, yeah, but then an yeah. opponent with France saying, yeah, he's. some people like him, some people don't. But for my part, I would say I would never sit beside him to eat a meal. I'm not quite sure if there was something to do with table manners or just a, a kind of Vieira-esque way. The, the of, famous one is with Chirillo, no? But, which, Chirilla, which isn't even a crunching Chirilla tackle. will come on to in a okay. second because that's off the field of play. But I understand what you're saying about the fact that he never set out perhaps to do no, he harm. He says he actually, yeah, I mean, this is like, look, I haven't gone back and checked it. Well, check the, okay, the Benny McCarthy one in the Champions League against Porto. It was the last game of the season. Yeah, so there's what? no way that they, there's no way that they, that, that he didn't intend to do something. The, the Sheva you know, tackles. Forget ridiculous. the intent. Right. Think of the outcome. He says that every single player right. he has fouled, some of them had to be substituted, right. but they always came back and played in the next game. We're, 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 we're not talking like Dean Saunders on, on, on Paul, Paul Elliott, right. right? We're not talking fashion on everybody. Okay. We're talking, I mean, look, like I said, like I stand to be corrected. This is something, would, I'm relaying what he said. I had not gone back at every <laughs> single foul of his career because it would take me years. It's surprising because when you, when you look at the clips, there's so many. Haters going to so, hate, James. So Haters many unfortunate attackers running forward happily with the ball and all of a sudden out of left field comes this kind of long-legged flailing he takes big strides. missile into into their ankles or into their well nuts or into their chest or into their ribs i mean he would kick you anywhere i mean who do you choose for your kind of syria hard men 11 well the defense i don't know but that inter because his, his teammate at, at inter was walter samuel can you imagine being a forward going up against those two yeah scary <laughs> montero 
stamp. Yeah, but I, I, I think I, th I think I think the difference. Pasquale Bruno. Pasquale. The difference here, okay. If you're talking about Pasquale Bruno hmm. or Walter Samuel, right? Those guys were scary. Those guys are scary, intimidating Materazzi people. Was pretty scary. I don't think so because Materazzi had a kind heart. <laughs> you would see that. No, Walter Samuel's eyes, right? Shock. Shock um, eyes. Paolo Montero, who you mentioned before, mm. those guys lived off of intimidation. I don't think Materazzi intimidated people. He was just extremely physical, always on you. And yeah, he often did foul you because maybe he missed time to tackle or, or sometimes maybe he didn't want to foul you. But he didn't have that, that meanness. Right. You know, Pasquale Bruno, he is the guy who, when he roomed with Stefano Tacconi, uh -huh. Tacconi tells a story, uh, who was the Juventus goalkeeper at the time, he tells a story about sometimes Tacconi would wake up in the middle of the night and Pasquale Bruno would be sitting up in bed and he would be staring at the little red standby light on the television. You know, like, like this, is not, this is not what we're talking about with The Matrix. Okay. Well, in 2004, he went too far even for him Inter playing Siena at San Siro. Marco's on the bench. and Doesn't stop him. <laughs> Bruno Cirillo is getting absolutely done by Inter's Kili Gonzalez. Basically, Matarazzo is having the time of his life shouting out instructions to Kili Gonzalez from, from the sidelines. Yeah, and he's saying, oh, take him on. He sucks. Go on, have another go. He's like, he'll never stop you. So Cirillo goes up to, well, he runs after him when the game finishes in the tunnel. He says, I went up to him and insulted him, and, and bam, all of a sudden, I find myself on my back on the floor, and he bursts into the press room with a bloody face. Good. I remember, I honestly, yeah. Bruno Cirillo is one of my least favorite footballers, right? <laughs> Everything about him is, 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 is wrong, right? There's a guy in the stands who's shouting, right? All he's doing is shouting at him, saying, like, giving advice to a teammate, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And is he trying to trash talk and get into his head? Sure. But he's off the pitch. You're playing in a stadium in front of 50,000 people, right? right? You got to listen to Materazzi. And then you actually go and admit him, and you oh, I walked up to him and I insulted him, and then I end up on the floor. Yeah, he well, basically you know one punches. It's you know great what? TV, though. I mean, when he when he appears in front of like well, like, like, like like a crying, whiny goes, little. I witch. want to show yeah. you what a shit of a man. After your story about what happened to Materazzi at Marsala when he was mm. cold-clocked in, the, he in the tunnel, he learned to get his punch in early, and he did. FIFA didn't feel the same way about it and gave him a two-month ban from football. Curiously, ten years on, the two met again in the Indian Super League, bizarrely, oh. when Materazzi was in charge of... Uh, what are they called? Chennaiin? I've probably pronounced that wrong. Since you, 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 you juxtapose the Shevola incident yeah. and the Materazzi Cirillo incident, yeah. if I have a quote from Paolo Di Cagno mm -hmm. and what he was taught at Lazio, Paolo, of course, five years older. But, you know, when, when Materazzi was playing in the youth team, Paolo would have been, you know, just breaking into the first team. And he had this great line, which is, Chi mena per primo mena due volte. So <laughs> he who hits first hits twice. Yeah. Yes, Can you explain that to me. Basically, if you hit the guy first, yeah. it's like hitting him twice okay. because, you know, or it's Good. a little bit like if you think back to Cobra Kai, strike first, strike hard, show no mercy. Lay one on him. Is that a Karate Kid reference? <laughs> yes, Cobra Kai. I've never Cobra seen Kai? Karate Kid. Who's Cobra Have Kai? you not? No. You're joking. I'm not joking. <laughs> I've seen the Jaden Smith version, which in no way inspired me to go back and check out Ralph Macchio's 
you know, I would do one day, but its moment has passed. I've done that with Dirty Dancing, you know. It, it didn't happen for me. Well, um, you didn't see you Dirty Dancing No, either. I've seen it now, but I should have seen it back then. You can't, you can't inhabit the same world with three decades of distance. I, I will you can't understand no, because, rhythms. No, because it's timeless. And okay. in fact, and, it, and this, is, this is relevant to, to, to Materazzi. There's something which he's actually said to me. He might have been half joking, but he actually referenced Karate Kid in a conversation once. Yeah. Because you'll remember that, well, James will remember because he's educated when it comes to cinema. Um, you'll remember that, you know, the, 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 in, in the final, uh, you have Danny against the baddie whose name escapes me right now. Uh, anyway, the baddie hurts him and he yeah. doesn't want to go on. He's like, Mr. Miyagi, I can't go on. Mr. Miyagi, I can't go on. Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel son, okay to lose opponent, must not lose to fear. Okay. And this is relevant to, to Materazzi because he was always told that he was ugly, he was ungainly, he was overmatched and so on. But he always made it a point that he could handle being beaten, but he would never handle beating himself. And he was never going to allow himself to be beat. That's right. We've moved on, everybody, to 2006 and to the strains of Seven Nation Army. Italy are lighting up the World Cup in Germany. Marcello Lippi has named Marco Materazzi to his squad. I feel like a shiver went down the spine of most Italian fans when they saw that squad list with Materazzi yeah. in well, that order. You know what? I, I remember this. this. This was the age when people still posted on forums. And then people saying like, oh, no, they should have Bonera. They should have this guy. And I was like, what the hell is your problem with Materazzi? Well, the problem was that he would concede penalties and he would pick up red cards. Which he did. Yeah. In the tournament. <laughs> he did in the tournament. What he also right. did was score goals. He did. Including, effectively, the one which won Italy the World Cup. Well, and this, yeah. is, this is the thing he says, Gab, is that people remember me for being the guy that Zidane headbutted. And everyone thinks I'm the bad guy, not Zidane. People don't remember that I scored two goals in that final. Be it one, one from penalty. open play and, and the, and the yeah, shooting. He also conceded the penalty that led to uh, uh, France's goal. Which he, he but, very nearly cost Italy their place in the quarterfinal as well because well, yeah. he got sent off against Australia. But Okay, but you know what? Honestly, I, look, this is the beauty of YouTube. And I won't stand for this rewriting of history. Right. You can go on YouTube. Yep. You can see the Materazzi tackle, uh -huh. right? Do you know who he tackles? Bresciano, I don't know. Yeah, it's Bresciano. Is no? it it's Bresciano? not. It's his own it's teammate. Ah, it's uh, Zambrotta. It's Zambrotta who he tackles, yeah. right? right? He does go in on him, but he doesn't hit Bresciano. He hits Zambrotta, who's his own teammate. So you're talking about a guy who gets sent off right. for tackling his own teammate. Right. In that World Cup, it should have been Nesta and Cannavaro. Nesta obviously gets injured. Barzagli's in the team too, but yep. nobody knows who he is. And so... <laughs> And so Materazzi has to step up. So Materazzi scores that huge goal right. as well against uh, the Czech Republic. It's the Czech Republic. So basically, he's on the bench for the first two games, which is what Ghana and USA. Nesta, as Nesta always did, gets injured. Materazzi comes on for the game against the Czech Republic and uh, scores, and he's actually named man of the match yeah, for that. nobody remembers. Right, so he's into the starting lineup for the last 16 clash with Australia. Come the semi-final. Where he picks up the red card. Italy and 10 men, they make it through, but with that last-ditch 
penalty kick from After Francesco Totti. After dominating the game against uh, 11 men and right. Bruce Hiddings 8-1-1 formation. But he's suspended for the quarterfinal, but is back available for the semifinal if needed because there's a strong chance that Sandro Nesta will be back available. Well, he's not available, James, because it looks like he could be fit again. He has a late fitness test. He feels the injury. And Materazzi basically says he wanted Nesta to play in that semi-final. He wanted him to be fit because he thought that he would give his country a better chance of getting to the final. But Nesta non ce la fa and uh, and Materazzi plays instead. It's probably the game where Cannavaro wins the Ballon d'Or as well because he becomes the Berlin Wall, even though this essentially is the game that happens in Dortmund where Germany had... And the wall's down by then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you know. But also, I mean, Materazzi also says that Barzelli you know, who'd taken his place in the quarterfinal, played really well in that game. Mm. And he, he, again, didn't really know whether he was going to get uh, get into the team or but, not. But, but wishing Nesta to be well, I just need to underscore this, because Materazzi... Or at least saying to journalists that you actually wanted Nesta to be well. But well, do go on. <laughs> it wasn't because Materazzi was in any way scared, because... Right. He does not lose to fear, fear, only to opponents. Right. Okay, well, the opponents then on that fateful 9th of July 2006 in Berlin were France. World Cup final, and Marco has an eventful time of it. First of all, he gives away the penalty for a foul on Malouda, which enables Zidane to step up and put France into the lead. Zinedine Zidane, Mr. Uh-huh. Cool, yeah. never steps under pressure. Uh-huh. Okay, there's no goal line technology. I'm sure the ball might have gone in. Right. But who takes such a crappy penalty? Do you remember? You could tell at that game something wasn't right well, with Caressa Zidane. Caressa thinks, thinks it's not a goal. and then I was sure it wasn't a goal. He's not trying to, like, Penenka, Gigi Buffon in a mm. World Cup final. I think maybe so. I mean, that's You ballsy. can tell screw it come already on. come loose at there that There was stage. no goal line technology, but there was VAR, as we would subsequently, <laughs> yes, subsequently see. Before that, though, Marco uh, produces one of his trademark leaps to meet Pirlo's corner, and wham, Italy are level. <laughs> Caressa there. All over the place. All over the place. And then we go to extra time. And Marco is up against the most talented player in the world, playing his final match in the biggest fixture in the world. And we all know what happens. With hindsight, Zidane's kind of alluded to this as well. It was the ultimate frustration. At that point in the game... I think Italy were playing for penalties. France were probably playing for penalties too. And Zidane was was just carrying the weight of everything on his shoulders. So Matarazzi's got his arm around him and Zidane turns and says, uh, I will give you my shirt after. And Matarazzi's since commented himself that it wasn't the words, it was the way he says that Zidane looked at him. That Matarazzi, had, I think, had knocked him down and picked him back up, and he said, Scusa, you know, like it's all part of the game. And Ma- Zidane just gave him a look like, Who are you? And Matarazzi felt, Well, I've scored a goal in this final, just the same as you. So when this exchange happened, and Zidane says to him, I'll give you my shirt after, he says, Preferisco la putana di tua sorella, which, you know, you can translate as, I prefer your prostitute sister. And Zidane, to be fair, comes up with a, 
I mean, people say it's a terrible way to finish a career, but it was a pretty iconic gesture. It was, it was a magnificent headbutt. I mean, it really was. The way he takes two or three steps and then he just pivots and does this perfect plant of the forehead into Matalazzi's sternum and, and wham, Marco goes down again. The, the thing about it, when he goes down, there's only three players on the pitch who even knew that it happened. Uh, there was obviously Materazzi who felt it. There was Adan who did it. And there was Gigi Buffon who was standing behind him. And you immediately see Buffon running to the referee. And then fortunately... He's making the VAR gesture. <laughs> <laughs> As we would later discover, there was a fourth official who decided to look at the monitor to make sure. But you know, that would have been entirely missed. Mm. In fact, most likely would have been missed. And I mean, I think Materazzi joked that he would probably have been sent off because all the referee would see was Materazzi lying on the ground, Zidane standing over him and assume that Materazzi had done something stupid to get himself sent off. Right. Also, I mean, just one of the most dramatic moments in World Cup history comes after the head, but where you have the camera tracking Zidane as he walks past the World Cup, doesn't look at it and goes right. straight down the tunnel, which is remarkable. Instead, you get the iconic shot of Materazzi there on his knees Holding the uh, holding the trophy aloft as a World Cup winner, I was obviously there, and everybody's wondering what the hell happened, what did he say, and so on. And, and this would this would this would carry over for a while. And Materazzi then, after the match, he walks through the mix zone. He knows everybody wants to speak to him. I mean, Zidane hides away and you know obviously doesn't say anything. Um, and he he's got this boombox. I remember this is 2006 or so some years ago, but like nobody owned a boombox, I think, after about 1995. Correct me if I'm wrong, unless you were making some sort of retro comment. But no, Materazzi, being Materazzi, owns a boombox. And he's just like blasting out music and he's blasting out Notti Magica from the, the, the from scene from, Italian from Italian 90 as, as he's walking through there. And, you know, he's obviously been told not to say anything, but that would then lead to really a veritable witch hunt because Zidane wouldn't say anything. And so all of a sudden you had all these expert lip readers come out, uh, including a bunch from newspapers in this country who created all these ideas that he must have said something racist, that he said made a reference to terrorists or somebody even, oh, he called him a son of Harkis, you know, Harkis being the um, I think they were, they were like the Algerian collaborators who collaborated with the French at the time that the, it was, it was, Algeria was a French colony, you know, and oh, and that hurt Zidane to his hand. And what's, I think, frightening and should give us pause to reflect is the amount of absolute freaking morons who believe this, right? If you didn't know Materazzi, would you believe that he might have said something racist? Possibly, right? But to think that Materazzi is going to go and like study the history of Franco-Algerian relations and that Zidane would care so much and wound his ancestors. And he had to deal with this crap for so long. Fortunately, after a very long time, Zidane, who I'm told by other people who know him, said ultimately he saw like Materazzi's depicted like some kind of freaking monster. And the only person who knows what he says, other than what he said other than Materazzi is him, he came out and he told the truth. He's like, right. no, there's nothing racist, nothing to do with son of Harkis, Algeria, all this nonsense. But there is that amazing um, uh, later when they... Well, Materazzi thinks they reconcile because um, I think he, I think is it a hotel to meet Mourinho when Mourinho is, is coach of Real Madrid or something like that. And he's down in the car park at the, at the hotel. And then Zidane and his brother turn up and he goes up to him 
and basically shakes his hand. Lucky it wasn't his sister. <laughs> right. And then, you know, this gets out. Matarotti talks about it and then Zidane is asked about it and he was like, well, that didn't ever happen. I don't know that guy. I, didn't know, I don't know that guy. Huh. <laughs> Which, you know. Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, Zidane did not take it well and did take it well. I mean, I think to his, like you said, it's a credit to Zidane mm. because if Zidane wanted to be, you know, a real dick about it, he would have given the excuse, right? right? He could have thrown him under the bus. He could have completely thrown him under the bus. Right. It took him a long time, but eventually the truth. And Marco Materazzi sued all these he fake did. lip readers and stuff, and he won judgments from... He, yeah. he, he sued a bunch of English uh, newspapers, didn't he? Yes. The first time I interviewed him, he was, it was a one-on-one after he'd been at the high court, I oh, think. Oh, really? He wasn't in the most kind of reciprocating <laughs> moods after, you know, so if you're no, talking what, to an English journalist. Because of this. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's enough reasons if you dislike him, you dislike him. Right. But nobody deserves, I think, that kind of treatment for so long based on the testimony of these frauds and shysters who think that they can read lips. They think they have magical powers, you know. Well, he did have a World Cup trophy to console himself with and something pretty special, almost as special was around the corner back home with his club. Inter, Jose Mourinho arrives as manager in when, 2008? Yeah. Well, the following season, actually, after the World Cup, he has an amazing time. He scores 10 goals, one in a derby win over Milan, of course, in a 4-3 victory there. He does a brilliant overhead kick against Messina. Oh, that's his favourite goal, no? I, I, I would imagine. Rather more so than the one he scored away at Empoli from the halfway line uh, uh, in his own net. Well, I also liked his comment when, yeah, 2006-07 into win the Scudetto. Uh-huh. Milan with the Champions League. This is the last time that, well, the two of them were riding high, I suppose, at the same time. And uh, you have Ambrosini on the open-top bus. He has the, the banner which he says you can stick the Scudetto up your ass. Mm. And Matarazzi's um, comment is, I would try and put the Champions League up there, but I don't have enough room. Because he's got all these <laughs> other trophies. You know, the right, World nice. Yeah, they actually won the title that year into, with a brace from Matarazzi away at Siena. And again, he's voted Serie A Defender of the Year. Mm. So not bad. Anyway, then Mourinho turns up a little bit later and, well, then you get the treble. Now, Matarazzi doesn't feature much. Six games. Is that all? All season, yeah. Yeah. But he, he comes on late and... I think, again, it's kind of testament to Mourinho's now much maligned man management that um, he not only keeps Matarazzi on side, but Matarazzi worships at the altar of, wow, of Jose. I mean, the goodbye, which you were witness to, Gab. Absolutely. When, uh, when after, you know, they've won the trouble and he already has a deal with Real Madrid and the cameras are there. He's in the car with Florentino Perez and Matarazzi's sitting there sad next to the bus, even though he's just won the trouble. And Mourinho orders the car to stop and jumps out and runs up to Materazzi and it turns into, I mean, that's on YouTube too, it turns into a very long, emotional, sobbing I mean, hug. I mean, I think we can probably debate who loves Mourinho more, whether it's Materazzi or Duncan Castles. I was disappointed when Jose got the Spurs job that his new assistant wasn't Materazzi. It's, it's Jao Sacramento. Jao Sacramento. Should have been Marco. Uh, all right, because Marco's got managerial experience after wrapping things up at Inter, not entirely of his own volition, I think. Uh, Benitez. Benitez. Remember his fallout yeah. with Benitez. That was amazing. But it wasn't Benitez. He actually saw Benitez out. It was Leonardo who I think got rid of... Uh, yeah, but I mean... 
I mean, he 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 didn't he went, get on. He went Rafa. I mean, it wasn't a siding down tackle like he did on Lentini and that sort of thing, but it was a takedown of kind of quite epic proportions in terms of how. He said know, he was scared of his own shadow. Scared right? of his own shadow. That it, he basically made Benitez out to be like Clough replacing Revy at Leeds in terms of you know throw your medals in the bin, you can win it better. Take down all the kind of photos of of Mourinho that were at uh, Appiano Gentile. I think there was a. I think Materazzi. I think he tells this story about having lots of posters and pictures from the treble in his locker, mm-hmm. and was kind of told to. Get, get rid of them. Right. Well, he and To finished. be fair, though, he was, with all the love in the world, and as you can tell, I'm biased when it comes to the Matrix, that summer, also because we're the same age, so it's kind of, you know, you, you realize your own mortality and stuff. The summer that he played his last game was the summer he turned 38. So probably, you know, he didn't, ex- he never expected to have a City A career, let alone one that, you know, would last yeah. Would last so long. Let alone one that would see him have uh, five Scudettos, four Coppa Italias, four Super Cups, a Champions League, a Club World Cup, and of course, a World Cup with Italy. Absolutely extraordinary. And then, that's without even mentioning the ISL title that he won as player manager of Chennai. Yeah, he had three seasons there. The second season he won uh, with a team featuring such names as Alessandro Nesta, Eric Jemba Jemba, and Ilano. There you really? go. Yeah, yeah. So there you have it. What's he up to now, Gab? So he lives in Perugia. He owns several. Because the other thing about sneaker shops, Materazzi, yeah, is that he loves his sneakers and and he loves his hoops as well. So in in Perugia, not in the not in the old town, but down the hill, he has a little shop that sells expensive Stan Smiths and oh, stuff nice. like that. Yeah, if you that's go, why he's, that's why he wore the the twenty three, wasn't it? Because that was Michael Jordan's number. I think so, and of course he should have played basketball, James. Wow, well, yeah. But yeah, I mean, true. if you go into the, uh, what is it, Corso Garibaldi in uh, in Milan, Moscova, kind of, his shop is there, right next to What's where... It no, it's called Space 23, Space 23. Okay. And, um, yeah, just down the road there is where Christian Vieri just hangs around all day, every day, sat outside his, well, not his restaurant, but, right. yeah. So you can get some Materazzi sneakers, and you yeah. can probably drop Hang by and see... Bobo. And amongst other things, he remains an, an Inter fan. Oh, very much so. And I mean, I think, you know, he would is one of those guys who would have loved to have Mourinho back at Inter. Mm. Not a view I share because, you know, personally, just in case you're wondering. But yeah, if you got appointed, obviously, you know, you just ask this reaction. And I think he might have said something privately like... About Antonio Conte. Yeah. I don't think he was super thrilled. I think he respects the his old rival's ability. But I think deep down... If it were him running the club, he would have said, okay, Antonio, you can come here, but you have to answer this question in public. And if you answer it wrong, <laughs> you're not getting the job. Okay. What question would you have asked him? How many titles has Juventus won? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> All right, then. Well, that is the extraordinary story of Marco Matarazzi. And uh, if you've enjoyed that, then do look out for the other Golazzo specials. For now, though, it's many thanks to Gabriele Barcotti and James Horncastle. And you, listener, will catch up with you soon for more retro Italian hijinks. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production. And for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>